and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I'm Pastor Mark Gunger, Senior Pastor here at Celebration Church. Sorry that I'm not with you uh, again tonight. Um, actually, right now I am in uh, Florida, Vero Beach, Florida, doing a week of flight training, getting ready for our... Uh, flying season that kicks in here. We have a small plane for our Laugh Your Way ministry. And uh, I uh, fly it with another guy, and it's good to get trained so you don't kill yourself. So that's where I'm at this week, getting all trained on all of that. But the Word of God still stands and endures, and I'm here to help share the Word of God with you and and teach you. And by the way, um, don't let the fact that you just see me on video somehow bum you out. It's still the same Word of God. It's still the same truth. And it's still me. You don't always have to have me in person physically with you. Although I'm sure you love to see me in 3D. It's still the same. The Bible is probably the ultimate video, if you will, of uh, how to get truth. You know, you don't see these guys. You don't hear these guys. But yet, it is powerful and it works. Why? Because truth works and you don't have to have these guys literally there to get truth. You can still get truth and uh, you can certainly do this by video and this is how we do our um, uh, campus outreaches, teach through video. Usually you guys here hear me in person, but the video thing is also good for you to hear from time to time. This is how everybody else hear stuff. So anyway, this is our Wednesday night Bible study. We're looking at the book of James. We're going to be finishing up the book of James tonight. If all goes well, there's not much left. And uh, what we do on Wednesday nights, for those of you who are new visiting, is that we uh, do our Bible study. We take a verse or a book of the Bible and we go through it verse by verse, and uh, which is different than on Sunday morning when I tend to speak topically. I'll grab a topic and just preach about it and then, you know, da-da-da-da-da. But uh, what we do on the Wednesday nights, we'll take a specific section of the Bible, and we'll go through it one line at a time, keeping it all in context, so you can really become more biblically literate, so you can learn more about the Bible and uh, and see how it stands in context. So we encourage people, when you come on Wednesday nights, uh, not so important on, on Sunday mornings, but on Wednesday nights, bring your Bible with you, because you'll be able to see where we've been, you can look at where we're going, you can get a sense of the context of the scriptures, uh, you can even make notes and stuff, and just become more familiar uh, with your Bible, so uh, you become more biblically literate, all right? So, we are now in James, the fifth chapter, we're picking up at verse 13, and this is what he says. He says, is any one of you in trouble? What should you do? Freak out? Cry? Come unglued? No, he should pray. And I would suggest, if you're in trouble, to pray and not freak out, cry, and come unglued. A lot of times people, when they're in trouble, their prayer even sounds more like freaked out, crying, and coming ungluing than really praying and getting a hold of God and standing upon his promises and getting into a place of faith. You have to understand, the only way to get an answer in your life is through faith. God is not moved by crying 
whining and freaking out. Now, he certainly feels, it's not that he's cold-hearted, and we will all feel with you. And if you want to freak and cry and stuff, we'll all do that. We'll all get together and have a big freak, cry out party if you want. We'll all cry and wail and, and hang in there with you. The Bible says we should cry with those who cry and rejoice with those who rejoice. We'll, we can identify with that in terms of human comfort and compassion and stuff. But you need to understand something. Crying isn't what will get you an answer from God. If it did, surely we would be overwhelmed and overrun with miracles. For the world is full of people who cry and freak out to God. Why don't they see answers to their crying? Because it's not so much crying as it is being in a place of faith. Even though the Bible says God hears our cry, but he's talking about our calling out to him, not our freaking out, coming emotionally unglued. Alright? So, if you're in trouble, he says, what you ought to do is pray. Get in a place of faith. Get in a place of faith so you can trust God to turn the situation around. And let me encourage you, sometimes that takes a little bit of time. You know, it, it doesn't happen right away. I know in my own life, when troubles come my way, I, I pretty much freak out just like everybody else here does. I, if you don't believe me, ask those who are close to me. They say, yeah, Mark, he will come totally unglued. You know, I, I always give myself this 24-hour freak-out period where I just kind of, ah! But I don't stay there. I've got to come out of it. And don't freak out if initially all you can do is cry. That's all right. But you can't stay there. You've got to get past it. You've got to be able to grow into a place of confidence where you get away from fear and you move into faith. Because fear won't do you any good. You've got to get to a place of faith. Because when you get to a place of faith, that's when miracles happen. That's when the power of God gets loosed into your life. When you get into a place of trusting God, not to a place of fear. Because fear is, here's God, here's what's coming at you. And you're more overwhelmed with what's attacking you than impressed by God. Faith changes that. You calm your fears. God becomes bigger to you than what you're afraid of. God becomes mightier to you than what you're confronting. And that's when you can release your faith. And the Bible says that faith moves God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those who come to God must believe that He is. You act towards God in faith, things will change in your life. So when He talks about having trouble and praying, He's not talking about this kind of praying. You're freaking out and you're trying to find God somewhere. He's talking about this kind of praying where God is big and if anything, you, oh yeah, what was it again? Oh yeah, this thing, God, I need you to help me with this thing. But you're more enamored with God. That doesn't always happen right away. For some people it does. I mean, people who have incredibly great Ho Chi Mama, amazing faith. Yeah, I suppose they're always... But it's not me, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I start out here just like everybody else. Ah! But I will not stay here. I refuse to stay here. And I will fight my way through it. If I have to pray, if I have to fast, if I have to just stick my head in the Bible for a while. I don't know what, but I just keep pressing on until God gets bigger to me than the problems. That's when prayer has power. So, if you are in trouble, pray. 
but pray effectively. Don't just freak out. He says, is anybody happy? Then let them sing songs of praise. Praise God. Certainly an appropriate thing to want to praise God and celebrate God and love God. And, uh, and you know, don't feel bad about people who are bubbly and praising and thanking God all the time. You know, let them splash some of that on you. I know a lot of people, they get irritated by people who are happy all the time. And it kind of bugs them. They say, oh, they're always perky. They're always, you know, just don't be critical. Just let them splash on you. Some people, they're just happy people. All the time I try to be one of them myself, but uh, don't always get there. But there are people that are just always happy, always singing, always praising God, always willing, wanting to sing a song, raise their hands in church and stuff like that. Now, that may not always be you, and that's fine. Not everybody has to be coming unglued during a worship service. But don't envy and get irritated by people who seem to be exuberant, if you will, in their praise, assuming they're not being horribly uh, distractive and troublesome in the service. I mean, if someone starts flipping out and howling like a coyote and running around the service, you know, because they think they're so happy in Jesus, I will tackle them myself the next time they come around and we'll drag their butts outside and be happy out there. So, because that's disruptive. We don't want you to disrupt people and freak people out. But you can certainly praise God. We want you to praise God. We encourage you to praise God. Some of you wouldn't hurt to sing and praise God a little bit, even when your life stinks. If anything, that's when you should praise God, especially when you don't feel like it. Anyway, that's a whole nother sermon. So, next one. Is any of one of you sick? What should you do? What should you do? What should you do? It says, you should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. So, run to Jesus. Those of you who are sick, having a hard time, come for anointing. Ask. You say, well, you don't always do it in the service like you used to. Yeah, well, it doesn't say come to a service and do it like they used to. It just says ask. Ask the elders. Ask the pastor. Ask for those in authority. Call them together. Say, guys, I'm sick. I, want, I, I need somebody to pray for me. Ask some of the elders. Ask them when you see us after a service. You know, if we didn't do anointing in that service, ask for it. Okay? You need to go get it sometimes. It doesn't always have to come at you. Um, so here the emphasis is on the sick person to act to ask there's a positive thing in there it's the stepping out of the boat it's the person you know uh, uh, moving out in faith uh, for their miracle so if you're sick you need prayer ask for the prayer and he says this he says and the prayer Offered in faith, not freaking out, but offered in faith, in confidence before God. This prayer will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up, which is what we want. You say, do you believe God um, makes sick people well? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. I believe God will literally make a sick person well if we will pray in faith. You say, well, what if they don't get well? Well, if they don't get well, we just keep standing in faith and keep praying and trusting God. I don't have all the answers to everything, but I do know the norm apparently here is you pray for a sick person and they get better. Not, gee, if you pray for them, they stay sick. That should be the exception. Sadly, today, that's the other way around. That if they get 
actually healed. They were, whoa, God answered prayer. You know, that that's, says a lot about us. That isn't particularly good. The norm here is you trust God in faith and God answers prayer. Um, and and if you're sick, that's what you should do. Uh, some people say, well, I, I don't I don't know. What, what, if, what, if, what if God's making you sick? Well... You know, first of all, it's debatable if God makes people sick, you know, but you know, just come. If you're sick, don't sit around thinking God made you sick. I mean, if you really think it's the will of God for you to be sick, then let's pray that you get sicker, you know. I mean, do you really think that? Nobody thinks that. I'm saying if you really do think that, then why do you go to a doctor? If you think it's the will of God for you to be sick, how come you're going to a doctor to get out of the will of God? You ought to just get as sick as you possibly can if you really believe that. Of course you don't believe God wants you sick. Everything, something inside of you lets you know God doesn't want me this way. He wants me to be well. God wants blessings and healing. Man, this should not even be a, Christian, a question in Christianity. If there is one thing Jesus did when he was here, is he healed the sick. Everywhere he went, he healed the sick. Anybody who was sick, they healed the sick. Even in the New Testament, everywhere they went, they prayed and they healed the sick. They healed the sick. They healed the sick. In Acts, it talks about uh, one time the Spirit of God's moving so heavily that when the apostles were just walking through town, if their shadow so much as fell on a sick person, they got better. So clearly, God's ideal is to heal the sick. Don't be second guessing, gee, this is really God's will and, and maybe I shouldn't be sick and, and, or maybe God wants me to be sick and, and I don't know, maybe I don't have enough faith to be sick and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Change your thinking from stinking thinking to positive thinking. God wants you better. If you're sick, what does he say? Get some guys together. Get prayed for and God will heal you. This is the norm here. Certainly it was the norm in the New Testament. Did everybody get healed all the time? Even in the New Testament we see some did not and we understand that. Paul even wrote the Apostle Paul about how a friend of his you know, his, was so sick and it was so burdensome, burdensome, burdensome to him. I mean some things don't always happen the way we want but those should be the exceptions, not the rule. The rule really should be you're sick, you ask God to Somebody prays for you, anoints you with the oil, prayer of faith, should save the sick, you should get better. This is the norm. Ask for it if you are having a hard time physically. And we will pray for you. So, um, he says, so the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Uh, which is interesting because some say, well, what if, what if, you know, what if I'm sick because of some sin? Well, he covers that even in that part. If he sinned, he'll be forgiven. He'll just got, this is the power of prayer. This is the power of getting together and joining hands and hearts and saying, let's believe God. When we pray and, and trust God and stand in faith, he makes everything right. He forgives the sin. He heals the sickness and the disease. God is about setting stuff right that is not right. If things are not right in your life, physically, sin-wise, whatever thing... Ask for help. Ask for someone. Come to the, some of the leaders of the church. Ask the people out at the, uh, um, you know, the uh, counters out there. You know, that are helping people and say, you know, I'd, is there somebody I could pray with? I, I need somebody to pray with. You know, I'm having a hard time with an issue or, uh, you know, whatever it is, sickness, trouble in your life, whatever the deal might be. And and they'll connect you with some people. We believe in the power of prayer. 
ask for the prayer, we'll pray for you, and let's trust God that miracles will happen. So, he says, look, if God is so willing to forgive sin, is really the implication here. Verse 16, the very next verse says, therefore... See, whenever you see a therefore, you ought to see what it's there for. The context is, because God is so willing to make things right for you, you got to ask. He's not just going to do it like a fairy godmother splashing you with blessings and you're not going to ask for it. You need to ask, but his desire is to make things right. Therefore, he says, because God has this attitude of making things right, he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. He says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So, but oh my goodness gracious, now we're on a whole new territory. Confessing your faults to each other, confessing your sins for each other, praying for each other. I don't want anybody to get that close to me. I don't want people to know what I'm struggling with. I don't want people to know how I'm I'm failing. I I don't want, you know, I, I want everybody to pretend that I'm righteous and holy and everything is good. And even though we're having trouble at home or in my own personal life, I want everybody here to think that I'm something that I'm not. Do not think that way. Put your face in there. Do not think that way. If you're struggling, we all struggle. Everybody struggles. Even me. Everybody has trials and challenges and things. Man, pray. Reach out. If you're having a hard time, you're going through, and confess your faults to each other. Confess your sins to each other. Man, I just want to be open and honest. I'm confessing my sins to people, stuff I struggle with. And when I'm an idiot, I just, man, I was an idiot. I was I got mad, I shouldn't have gotten mad, or I came in glued and I shouldn't have come unglued, and I was freaking out and I shouldn't have freaked out, and I wanted to punch somebody in the face and I shouldn't have thought like that and felt that way. And and confess these things. Just be open and honest. I mean, who cares? You know, you got to get to a point where you don't really care. What everybody thinks about you, some artificial image. If you're trying to work for some artificial image, goodness gracious, we just don't care about that here. Just be real. If you are suffering and your life stinks and someone comes up to you and says, how you doing? Don't go, oh, fine. Don't do that. Just say, you know, I'm not doing so well. I'm having a real hard time. That's hard for people. To admit that they are struggling, that they are faltering, that they might be having some difficulties in life. You know, everybody's so worried about what everybody thinks. I mean, who cares? We don't care about this stuff around here. Don't be plastic. Don't be phony. Don't be having your life going through hell and then walking through the door saying, everything's great. (laughs) Just be honest. You don't have to come and just emotionally puke all over everybody but be honest say look I am having some struggle let's pray let's pray pray for each other it says pray for each confess your sins to each other pray for each other that should be our attitude here at Celebration Church one thing that should mark this church we are not the smartest people in the world Lord knows I'm not the smartest guy in the world we're not the prettiest people in the world we may not have whatever but let's just be who we are but let's be real let's be that Let's be transparent and honest and open. If there's one thing about our church, be real. It's, it's kind of our whole focus in our church. We've got three things. We want about challenging people to be real and to, to belong and to become. Be real, belong, become. But we start with be real. Man, you can't 
belong, really, if you're not real. And you'll never become what God wants you to be if you're not being real. It starts with being real. I try to be real with you guys all the time. I know for some of you I'm a little too real. But I'd rather be that. I don't, I don't care. I'm not trying to be something I'm not. You know, I'm trying to come off as some holy, righteous pastor who's so brilliant and intelligent and blah, blah, blah. I don't care about that stuff. Man, let's be real. Let's love God. Let's belong together. Let's become what God wants us to become. But we can't be there if we're going to wear plastic masks. No masks allowed. When you walk in this place, you should, we should have the ushers collect masks when people come in. Just throw your plastic mask in there. Be who you are. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're having a hard time with, be open and ask for prayer. You know, the number one reason why people don't get answers to prayer is simply because they do not pray. They cry, they freak, they whine, they bellyache, but they don't pray. How about we stop doing that and start really trusting that and believing that God is real. That the Bible, the Bible really is real. I can walk over here and the Bible is real and I can experience God even with my faults and my warts and everything else about me. And the truth is, the only way to really overcome sin in your life is to confess your sin. And to be open and honest about it. If you don't confess the sin you're struggling with, I promise you, it will choke you to death. You will never be able to get free from it. It will control you. It will rule over you. And you try to work it out by being better instead of of being honest. It doesn't work. I mean, look at some of the major disasters we've had in the body of Christ and, and evangelical Christianity over the last couple of decades. We had the whole Jimmy Swaggart debacle and the whole Ted Haggard debacle and, and all these weird, bizarre sexual sins of these great preachers and stuff. And we say, well, how could that, how could that be possible? I'll tell you how it could be possible. Because they never confessed their sins. They, all of these guys will tell you they struggled with these things since they were teenagers. But they told nobody. They told nobody, and they thought, well, I can work my way through it. You know, swaggered. He just figured he'd read the Bible more and fast and pray harder. And, 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 and Haggard, you know, he would just keep praying harder and be more disciplined. And, and what's amazing is in their efforts to try and overcome their sins, a lot of these guys built huge ministries. Jimmy Swaggart, man, at one time, it was he was huge. He was gigantic. He was touching more lives and... Preaching the gospel all over the world. And people all over the place came to Christ uh, through faith, through his ministry. Haggard was the leader of the Evangelical Association. He was writing books and built this huge church in Colorado Springs and was a big mucky muck and yo mama guy in, 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 in the Christian community. All these guys did incredible things. The whole time they were slaves to sin, which eventually caught up with them. Something you cannot forget. The Bible says, your sin will find you out. You can hide from it for a while. You might be able to hide from it for 10, 20 years. But I promise you, eventually, it will come out. Your sin will find you out, the Bible says. And it's certainly what happened to these guys. And of course, they went down in flames and humiliation. And millions of Christians were devastated, you know, that somebody fell. By the way, don't you guys ever be like that. I pray to God I never disappoint you in that way. I seriously do. But I don't care who, if, man, some preacher falls, it doesn't freak me out. 
people can hug. I was, I believed in Jesus until Jimmy Swagger fell. No, I don't want to serve Jesus anymore. Or I believed in Jesus until that one preacher turned out to be a hypocrite. I don't want, you are a nitwit wrapped up in a moron. You mean to tell me you're only serving God because what you think somebody else is doing? Goodness gracious, people. Don't think like that. Put your face in there. Don't put your dependency on man. I never freak out. I don't care who falls. I mean, I care. I don't want anybody else to fall, but... Goodness gracious, if somebody I know is close to, someone I respect, often turns out that he's in sin or makes some big mistake, I don't come unglued. Man, my hope is in Jesus. Not in some person. If your hope is in me, you are doomed. Now, hopefully I don't do anything humiliating to the church and some ungodly, stupid, moronic thing. But I don't care what it is. I mean, if you're trusting in me and you're only going to serve Jesus as long as I serve Jesus, you are, you're just crazy. Put your hope in people and trust in people. Goodness gracious, but millions of Christians, so they will see this, they just come unglued, you know. And they go, how could that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. They wouldn't confess their faults. They wouldn't confess their sins. They wouldn't tell anybody. They tell it later after everybody finds out through humiliation. And they see what a disaster it was. Goodness gracious, you want to get free, you've got to be open, you've got to be real. Be real, be real. We can handle it. You know who else can handle it? God can handle it. Besides, he's got a pretty good clue what you're really like anyway. Be honest. Be real. Then you can belong and become something. But you've got to start honesty. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other that you can be healed. And he says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then he goes on and he uses another Old Testament example. And we've been jumping back and forth to the Old Testament because of these very, very cool stories. Again, James was writing to Jewish Christians and their reference is all this Old Testament stuff. Might not make so much sense to you. But Elijah, he says in the next verse, was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Elijah was a man just like us. Now to say that to a bunch of Jewish uh, people was, it was quite a shocker to them, because you know everybody considers these holy people to be extra special. You know the Apostle Paul, he was different. You know Peter, he was different. The reality is they were all just like us. They're just men. Everybody's just men, men or women, okay? There's nothing, something supercharged about these. Here's a guy just like us, struggles with life, and Elijah did these incredible things. Of all the Old Testament prophets, Elijah was like the most, he was the king of butt kicking. This guy was unreal. He was phenomenal. You really ought to read the story of, of Elijah. We're going to take a look, quick peek at one of them. But uh, looking over at First Kings, way back in the Old Testament, look around. First Kings is right before Second Kings, but uh, in First Kings, but Elijah, man, Elijah was like, whoa, this this guy was unreal. The power of God on this guy, he did stuff that would just change the nation. It was unreal what this guy could could do. In fact, he was so powerful that God made his name synonymous with powerful anointing. And in fact, prophesied that before Jesus came, Elijah would come. And uh, if you read in the beginning of the, the New Testament, um, his apostles asked him, the disciples asked him, he says, well, what is this? It says that Elijah is supposed to come before the Messiah. What? And Jesus said, well, he did come. Really who? He says, 
it was John the Baptist. In other words, it wasn't that Elijah physically would come back, but Elijah was so powerful in the anointing of God that God considered his name synonymous with great anointing. So when he said when Elijah would come, they thought literally Elijah was going to come back. That wasn't the promise. Uh, it was talking about John the Baptist, which Jesus pointed out to us. But that, this is how powerful this guy was. Great. You can read about him uh, in Kings, First Kings, about this just incredible, incredible prophet. But... Uh, there's this great story here where uh, they, uh, Elijah was kind of, a, kind of a, in, in a conflict here with uh, this king, King Ahab, bad king. And we can read about it in 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, starting at verse 16. It says, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab. Uh, Elijah, if you, if you back up, you'll see he told Obadiah to go find Ahab. So, and Ahab had been chasing Elijah for all this time, and he was irritated. He couldn't find him. So... Elijah said, go tell Ahab I'm here. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said, is that you, you troubler of Israel, you troublemaker? Because he's been chasing down this prophet who's been creating all this grief because this king has been so wicked. And, and, and every time Elijah prays, stuff was happening and he was messing things up for him. And Elijah said, I haven't made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. What is a Baal? A Baal was a, a false god that they would worship back then. So you had these prophets of Baal, this, this false god, and they'd all get their own hubba 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 Baal, hubba hubba hubba, and they would worship Baal and do all this kind of, of stuff. Now, um, so anyway, what happens here is he says... Um, See if I can jump to jump to verse 22. Okay, so Elijah says to them all, "I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets." So he says, "Get two bulls for us, and let them choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put wood on it and not set fire to it. And then you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So he's this is like the big showdown of the OK Corral in the Bible, in the Old Testament. All right, Elijah's had it with these nitwits. He finally shows up, so okay, here I am. And he's looking to the, the, the Jewish people. They couldn't make up their minds if they were going to serve God or this Baal. He said, look, just one guy, me, you got 450 prophets of Baal. We're going to take two sacrifices. Set it out, but no fire. And then you're going to pray that your God will answer by fire. And I'll pray. And whoever answers by fire is, is God. Now, what's interesting is uh, these guys all agreed to it. As you read the story, you can read it uh, on your own time. We don't have time to go through all of it. but Because um, these guys really believed it. I mean, something, there's something real about demonic worship. There's something real about, you know, satanic principles and idol worship and all these kind of things. You know, they see some pretty bizarre things happening. So these guys thought there was nothing to it. Great. We'll call out to Baal and Baal will send the fire and, and then we'll be in charge. So, uh, so anyway, they, they, they agree to the showdown. So they set up these two altars and uh, Baal, or, or Elijah says, okay, you guys go first. And you can read it in the Bible where, you know, all these guys got around and they started praying to Baal and said, come on. Come on, Baal. Come on, Baal. Sack it to me, Baal. Sack it to me, Baal. Come on, answer by fire. And they kept praying and praying. Nothing would happen. And nothing would happen. And nothing would happen. And these guys were shocked because they expected something to happen. 
Because they had been experiencing all kinds of stuff. But see, God showed up, man. When God shows up, he just kicks the devil's butt. He's got no chance. Anyway, so they're praying, second to me, man, second to me, nothing's happening. And the Bible says that they started cutting themselves and getting more intense and sacrificing blood and doing all these kind of weird, bizarre things. And uh, if you get a chance, read the story. So, well, I don't know. Can we sneak in here and see where is this? Uh... Verse 27. Check this out. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. So this is pretty funny stuff here. He says, shout louder. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and you got to wake him up. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Uh, This is hilarious. I mean, Elijah comes out and he starts egging these guys on. Come on, guys. Yell a little louder. Come on, maybe he's busy. You know, maybe he's going potty. I mean, come on, do something. Kick it up a little bit. And so he's egging these guys on, just humiliating. And they cry and pray and boogie and dance and cut themselves all day long. And nothing happens. So, then the evening comes. Verse 30 says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. And they came to him, and he says, Now repair the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. And Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom uh, the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and the wood. Now, ch- now check it out. So it's finally his turn. He gets everything all set up and he gets the thing and he takes the bull and he cuts it up for the sacrifice and he, everything's all set and ready to go and he tells okay, now go get a bunch of water and pour it on there. So, the, you know, it's kind of bizarre if you want fire to fall from heaven and eat stuff up, you generally don't pour water all over it. But Elijah, just to make a point, pours water over the whole stinking thing. Verse 34, he says, do it again. And they did it again. And he says to them, do it a third time. And they did it the third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. So the whole thing is sopping wet. Now these people had to look at him and think, man, this dude is nuts. But he was one powerful, confident man of God. Then at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Now remember, this is the guy that James says was just like us. (laughs) I don't know too many guys like this, but his point was he's a man just like us. But this guy confidence up the wazoo. This guy was, you know, confrontational. Go ahead, making fun of these guys, calling for this big showdown. His turn makes everything sop and wet. Then he prays. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are Lord, O Lord, our God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then check it out. Then fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, 
the wood, the stones, the dirt, and even licked up the water in the trench. I mean, wazoom, fire comes down and just vaporizes everything. And then when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord. I bet he was the Lord, he is God. They were freaking out. You know, finally God shows up. Then Baal says, arrest all these guys. I don't know if you can hear that, but it's thundering right now. Perfect timing for the story as I'm videotaping. Talk about thunder, man, and zapping stuff. So anyway, Elijah says, take all these guys, uh, all these prophets, and kill them all. And he killed them all, and blah, 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 blah. And then they've been having this uh, drought because he had prayed to withhold the the, the rain for like three and a half years or whatever the time was. But uh, uh, so he finally prays. And that God would uh, answer his prayer and bring back the rain. So, um, so look at verse 42. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed, climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. So he's praying. And he says to a servant, go look toward the sea. And he went and looked. There was nothing there, he said. And seven times, Elijah said, go look again. There's nothing there. 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 Go look again. Seven times. And the seventh time, the servant reported, well, well, there's this cloud out there, you know, as small as a man's hand coming out of the sea. I mean, it's nothing. It's a little vapor. Well, as soon as he had seen the cloud, Elijah knew God had answered his prayer. And he said, you better go tell Ahab to hitch up your chariot and get out of here before the rain stops you. Because the rains are coming. And meanwhile, it says, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. (laughs) So here he's riding. He takes off with his chariot. Sure enough, here comes all this rain. He's riding in the sopping rain. Because Elijah finally said, Lord, let the rain come. Exactly the story we were just reading in James. And then I love this part, verse 46. Then the power of the Lord came on Elijah, and check it out, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Israel. Now check this out. He tells Ahab, you better get going. Get in your chariot. You better get out of here. Rain's coming. He probably thinks he's crazy. There's no rain. But after seeing stuff zap from heaven, I, I listen to the guy by now. So he hops in his chariot and he's going, do, do, do. Chariot's cruising along. All of a sudden, everything gets dark. Rain's coming. He's just going as fast as he can. Then, back here, the Spirit of God hits Elijah. He goes, woo! Tucks in his shirt and starts running. And the Bible says he outruns Ahab all the way back. I mean, is this cool or what? You know, I don't know if they, I don't think they had rearview mirrors, but man, he had to be cruising along. So what is that in the mirror? And he turns, here comes the prophet Elijah. Woo! Passes the horse. I would, I hope they have instant replay in heaven because this is a seriously cool story. I've got to see this as he outruns this animal, this horse, chariot, all the way back to Jezreel. So clearly, Elijah is a powerful, amazing prophet. And let's jump back to James again and we'll wrap this up. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced a crop. What is his point? He just told us, people, pray. Pray. 
Elijah was a guy like us. He prayed, look what God did. See, we try to make him something special, and I, I really, I would make him something special, pretty amazing guy. But he says, look, in the reality, he's a human being just like we are. We can pray. Let's pray and see God do great things. And then finally, he ends with uh, this, the last two verses here, where he says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Great encouragement. If you see a brother in faith wandering off from the truth, do your best to help win that brother back, to steer that brother back so uh, he won't get uh, off track. Now, you can't really talk about a verse like this without uh, discussing briefly... um, this this one big doctrinal fight that's throughout Christianity. It's called the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism. Calvinism basically teaches that once you come to faith, there's no way you can ever lose out with God in its most extreme interpretations. Now, there's all kinds of versions of that. For example, some say, well, if you ever become an axe murderer, then you probably never were a faith person anyway, and, and it's a big deal with them. Armenians basically believe that, you know, you can come to faith in God and then get away from God through faith. And, and so you've got some who believe one, some who believes the other. Usually if anybody ever asks, what do you believe, Calvinism and Armenian? 99 times out of 100, he's a Calvinist. These are the ones who get the most upset about the whole thing. Now, I've had people even set up appointments with me to come discuss Calvinism and Armenianism, and they want me to pick sides on it, and I just, I'm just not going to go there. There's, just, there's some things that we will fight over, some things we will debate uh, in private. I might tell you my feelings one way or the other, but we're just not going to get into the you know, debate. Quite frankly, it's a question most people don't ever ask. Nobody sits there and tries and analyzes. Gee, I don't know. Can I have faith and then not have faith? And da, 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 da. You know, clearly, I'll, I'll, the best answer I'll give you this. If you see someone wandering from the truth, bring him back. We don't have to debate what actually happens. It does say this. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death. Well, what kind of death? Physical death? Some say, well, no, it's just the death of God's blessings on their life. And whatever. Whatever it is, it's bad. Okay, without getting into some big doctrinal argument so we can all split and go our separate ways. Goodness gracious, we argue about some of the craziest things in churches. But rather than do that here, I just, there's some of us here that are Calvinists, some of us that are Armenians, and 98% of them who are clueless about either one. That's the truth. And you know, we're just fine. And we don't get into this big theological debate about what's possible and what isn't possible. We just believe this. Let's serve God. Let's honor God. Let's love people. And if we see a brother starting to get off track, then then let's get him back on track. Let's get him back on track. Because remember, he who does this will save him from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's, Let's cover. Let's be there for each other. Let's be a family of faith. Okay, a strong family. When I say family, I'm not talking girly man family. I'm talking more mafia family. <laughs> you know, not bad mafia, but you know, strong family. You know, like, come on. You know, let's, let's be part of something. Let's belong to something. Let's be there for each other. Let's encourage each other in faith. Let's watch out for each other uh, and try and avoid. If you see someone going in a bad direction in their faith, just step in and be a friend to that person and pray for that person and try and correct that person and trust God. Again, pray, 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 pray that God would be there for that person and and just be a cover to them. 
and let's just do that and not get all caught up into theological debates that keep Christians by the millions separated from each other. I say, how about we just join together and be a family that that wants to be real and belong and become everything God wants us to become. Anyway, we love you guys. Uh, We'll see you again uh, next Wednesday. Am I here next Wednesday? I am here the next Wednesday. Okay. I have to check. Traveling around so much. So we'll see you next Wednesday. God bless.